Hello and welcome to the Noodlebugs podcast, where we discuss aspects of the natural world. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Everybody, today I'm going to be talking to Chloe Jungworth, and I'll just let you introduce yourself. Hi, um, my name's Chloe, and I guess Ned, thank you for inviting me on the show. Um, I'm here because my interest in mushrooms is one of my hobbies, I suppose. <laughs> so you might call yourself a mushroom enthusiast. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so. How did you first get into mushrooms? How did you discover mushrooms and go, wow, I want to learn about this. This is cool. This is nice. Mm -hmm. Great question. So I suppose looking back at it, um, I was fortunate to grow up with lots of forest around where I lived. Um, And so when I was a kid, seeing mushrooms in my environment was just part of my childhood. Um, And I didn't really think about it all that much, but I've lived in the city now for 20 years. um, And in the last kind of five years, started to think about and look at mushrooms a lot more. Um, And so, yeah, reflecting on it, I guess I was always interested in them as a child. And it's been more of an academic kind of interest in the last few years where I've actually been reading about them and looking at videos and stuff like that. So it was one of those things where the, it's always been kind of part of a part of your life, but ha, in, until recently, it hasn't really been such a important thing. Yeah, I think so. So, what do you love about mushrooms? What What is it about mushroom that make mushrooms that makes you go like, hmm? I I always liked mushrooms, but why do you like them now more specifically? What is it about them that you go, these are mushrooms, these are great? Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you give extra focus to anything, uh, you can find out a lot more about it. So with mushrooms, getting to know that there are so many different types um, and, you know, some of them have medicinal properties, the part they play in our environment um being part of the ecosystem and helping other plants, communicating with other plants and stuff like that. Oh, I shouldn't have said other plants because mushrooms aren't a plant, are they? Um, But you get what I mean. Uh, There's just so much to learn about them and they provide solutions for some of the problems that we see in our um, modern times as well. So could you give an example of some of these problems that you, would th- you wouldn't think mushrooms would be good for, but normally we think of mushrooms as food. You know, most mushrooms are considered food. Or n- not most mushrooms are considered food, but if you buy a mushroom, people aren't going to go, like, what, to clean your table with? They're going to go, no, to make breakfast with. So what are 
some of the things that you can use mushrooms for that aren't in a cooking environment and it would actually be very useful in a lot of people's everyday lives. Mm-hmm. So um, in everyday life, I suppose the way that uh, mushrooms can break down different matter um, and add this to your soil, um, also things like uh, they can kill certain worms that attack your plants, nematoid worms, uh, and do on a larger scale stuff to do with um, soil remediation and getting rid of things like oil spills um, and toxic waste in soil. And even I think some people are playing around with seeing if different types of mushrooms can break down plastics and stuff like that. They could be used as a sort of decomposition machine and break down other unwanted other unwanted substances. Yep, yep. I guess, yeah, you're making me think now of things like uh, we're told that some papers and cardboard aren't very good for recycling if they have sort of food or oil on them. However, mushrooms wouldn't find that a problem to use that as a food source if it was like, you know, contaminated with greasy oil, unlike, you know, how we get told you can't put those items into your recycle bin to go off to the cardboard recycling plant. Um, So it gives you more options. And of course, that's a more local way of recycling as well. So you wouldn't even need to be putting any cardboard or paper into your recycle bin if you were feeding it to your mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So so that could be, um, that is a massive breakthrough really because... Like, for example, if you're ordering pizza all the time and the boxes you can't throw into the recycling because they have grease on them, you could feed them to the mushrooms. Yeah, that's a great idea. So, do the mushrooms prefer, like, human food or does it not really matter to them? Do they, or, like, what is their favourite thing to eat, really? Uh, there are different types so i know for some types of mushrooms they call them wood lovers which means they like to recycle anything made of wood um which i guess would that be one of the main um not ingredients but components be carbon yeah so uh other types can live in soil Um, there's even mushrooms I've seen that grow in sand by the beach. So I'm not entirely sure what they're consuming and, um, using to feed on and grow. Okay. But can you expand on that a little bit further? So can, are there, is there a type of mushroom that can grow in every type of environment? What is there an environment that mushrooms can't survive in? Are there certain types of mushrooms that can survive in outer space, for example? Mm. That's such a great question. I don't know the answer. So for me, that would be one that I would be going to research to find out. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating thing to wonder about. So with mushrooms or fungi, to be more exact, um is it is it, because mushrooms are 
not always a good thing to eat. Like, they could occasionally be poisonous, for example. If you... People don't just know what mushrooms are right to eat, but are there other animals that eat mushrooms that just know what mushrooms are bad and what mushrooms are good just off of instinct? Hmm. Again, I don't know the answer to that. I think you and I both probably would have seen when we've been on forest walks, uh, sometimes you might spot some mushrooms that appear to be half eaten and... You know, it doesn't necessarily look like it's just slugs and snails that have been eating them, um, but it could have been deer or wombats or kangaroos and that sort of thing. And the question of how they know which ones uh, they can eat that will be okay for them, it's a really good question. Um, I guess it, that's sort of similar for anything that animals eat though, isn't it? It's such a strange thing. Like, how does something just know what is right to eat? Like, how on earth would I possibly know that I need to drink water? Like, how would I know that the feeling of thirst would mean I need to drink water? And that that question is something that I don't think anyone really knows. But perhaps if we could figure it out, if we looked more into the neurological pathways between, between our brains then maybe we could learn really what instinct means. Mm-hmm. But back to and more to the point, um, what are some, what is, what is the difference between lichen, moss and fungi? Because they're, they're all different, you know, they, they all do different things, but what, what actually makes them fundamentally different? Ned and I, you, you and I have talked about fungi before and the fascinating thing about that is that they're not plants and they're not animals, are they? No. How do you categorise them? Well, they're their own kingdom, as uh, Chris said. They're their, own, they're their own species, as everything is, but they're completely different from anything else ever seen before on this planet which is leading some people to believe they're aliens. And I'm not sure if that, that is really true, but it's a, it's a theory and there's so many other theories. But it's more of a hypothesis than a theory because it can't be proven right or wrong. So Ned, could, I'm actually not an expert on lichen. Are you able to explain a bit more about that? Yes, lichen is a form of life created by... A mixture of moss and fungus where they have a symbiotic relationship and the the fungus kind of takes over the moss or it doesn't take it over it does consent but what happens is the fungus breaks down the rock to get the minerals for the moss and the moss does photosynthesis to get glucose for the fungus but actually what i said before is that the moss consented but actually you can't really know that can you so that's pretty much what i have to say about lichen and that's what it is it's amazing i didn't know that at all (laughs) so if you don't mind me asking what would be your favorite fact about fungi like i know i know it's one of your secret guru guru secrets about fungus but i would like to hear your opinion 
Yeah, well, I guess one of the things that I find really exciting that probably lots of people don't know about um, is to do with fungi and vitamin D. And I know lots of people are taking, paying more attention, sorry, to their vitamin D levels these days and also taking an interest in how you can get vitamins and minerals through food sources and not just supplements from a chemist. Um, so one of the fascinating things about fungi is that when they're out in sunlight, the rays of the sun help the fungi to actually have vitamin D in them that you can then consume to raise your vitamin D levels. And as you might know, that really helps your immune system to ward off flus, colds, respiratory illnesses and that kind of thing and have really good general well-being. So what you're saying is that mushrooms that have been out in the sun for longer will have higher amounts of vitamin D in them. That's right. So some growers actually, uh, you know, whether they be farmers of mushrooms or people who are doing growing at home, um, when they even harvest their mushrooms, they may deliberately lay them out in the sun so that they generate even more vitamin D. Uh, and so one of the famous mushrooms that's really good for your health and um, again, warding off those flus and colds is chugga. Uh, and that one is one that's known for being harvested and then laid out in the sun to get the vitamin D up higher and higher. And I'm pretty sure you can even do that if you've got a chugga powder, that if you put that in the sun, it would still even make more vitamin D. Wow, that is a very cool fact. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm sure when our mushrooms grow, which we've just started, well, we haven't just started, you've just given us some, which I'm very grateful for. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm sure we will try that and we'll leave them. How, how long would you recommend leaving them out once you've picked them? Leave them for maybe a day? Oh, look, if you've got them growing outside, I don't think you need to leave them out um, once they look ready for picking. Just pick them and they've already been in the sun. Um, I'd say it's a bit different with some of those ones that are these days grown inside, you know, kind of um, steel shipping containers and things like that because they're not actually getting the natural sunlight in there. So that's kind of maybe one of the things that'll be interesting to see uh, sort of differences in nutritional value to do with the ones grown outdoors as compared to indoors these days. So would you by chance be growing any mushrooms at the moment? At the moment I am growing some mushrooms and I'm growing the type that you just referred to that I've given you a bit of a sample of to grow at home as well. Um, so they're called the wine cap, red wine cap mushrooms um, and they're a beautiful one for growing at home. This is my um, biggest excitement for mushrooms at the moment is the ones that you can grow at, at home and just outdoors. I think it's really easy and it's a lot less fussing around I've found than um, creating the grow bags yourself. Um, if you've got even some pot plants outside you don't need to have um, earth that you can dig in. 
all you would need is some pot plants that you can place some of the mycelium around with some of its food, whether that be pea straw or sugarcane mulch and probably a bit of cardboard, maybe some wood chips and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I just love them because they're known to be a really tasty mushroom. And uh, some people say they taste a little bit like potato. <laughs> They grow really large a lot of the time, so um, over 25 centimetres in diameter um, of the cap of the fruit body. <laughs> and as you said, they're some of the ones that are growing outdoors, so they get nice and high in vitamin D. And they're just so um, no fuss. They're so easy to grow at home and honestly... Uh, I didn't pay much attention to mine. I created a bed of mushroom, of this type of mushroom, just out near the washing line. The rain watered it. I didn't particularly need to go out and use a hose to water this patch. And I kind of forgot about them. And then one day was putting the washing out on the line and turned around and there was a giant mushroom that was as big as a dinner plate. Wow. And after, after a while, do they shrink? Or do they, like, if you were to leave them out for too long, would they shrink? Like, is it important to plant the mushrooms as soon as you get them? Ah, so in terms of picking the fruiting bodies, the mushroom um, that we see growing above the ground, not the rest of the organism down in the earth, um, they'll, I guess that will shrink a little bit if it gets too dehydrated. But not very much. Um, your main problem is got probably pests eating them. So I know in my garden, um, probably centipedes, slugs, snails, they might all like to have a little munch on them, which is not really a big deal because you can just wash your mushroom before you prepare it for eating um, and make sure you don't have any critters left on there. Um, but some people also have maybe possums, uh, foxes and other animals visiting their property and they might like to eat them as well. So it just depends on which creatures are visiting your garden, I suppose. One cheeky snail sitting on the chugger mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... When you're growing mushrooms, just of any variety, is it very important to keep them at a certain temperature, or are they very, are they, are they like quite resilient in mm. terms of like, is it a lot of fuss to keep them alive? Yeah, well, I guess when we think of mushrooms seasonally, we think of autumn, don't we? So that's not the hottest time of year, and it's not the coldest time of year. But different mushrooms have different um, uh, best growing periods in the year based on those temperatures. Uh, so, for example, if you buy your mycelium from a commercial company, as I did, they will give you a suggestion of the temperature range for the mushrooms. So for the red wine cap, it might be different to, say, the pink oyster mushroom and some of them will grow through the coldest part of winter and some won't. They'll sort of 
Um, they won't pop out any fruiting bodies for a couple of months because uh, they don't put their energy into doing that until it gets a bit warmer again. So how do you identify a poisonous mushroom from a healthy mushroom? Or not a healthy mushroom, but a native one. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's like with other plants, there are a few different ways, aren't there? So traditionally through time, this would have been learnt um, as elders telling youths all of their knowledge about the plants and fungi and everything in their environment. Um, we don't all get that uh, opportunity to learn those sort of things from our elders and we've all had um, lots of disruption, I suppose, to some of the, that traditional knowledge. Uh, so the way I've been learning is through books and you can get lots of great guidebooks and also just lots of knowledge on the internet these days. So uh, one of the first ways I got into mushrooms a few years ago was just on Facebook, join, joining the Victorian Fungi page um, because I'd started to really take an interest in photographing them and um, one of the lovely things that I'd started doing as a sort of tradition with my father was to go for bushwalks with him and try to go mushroom spotting and we would take photographs together and then it's a really fun community to participate in then posting your photos on the forums and groups like Victorian Fungi and other people help you identify them and you get to learn from all the photos they're taking as well um, and that they share there. And so many real experts join in on those forums to share their knowledge um, and you can learn about the geographical aspects of which environments tend to show different types of mushrooms and then uh, what the weather and climate impacts are and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But are there any like specific traits you can find in mushrooms that means they're almost definitely safe to eat? Mm. I'm not at the level where I would be certain enough uh, about that. I think it's really important because we know that some are deadly uh, to be really careful with your identification and, um, you know, if you haven't sort of done years of study on it, it's usually uh, good to refer to some other experts' resources, um, you know, like the identification books or pages on the internet and things like that. And even then, I'd say not just double check but check three times you know that you've got it right <laughs> so it's not worth it's not worth risking you don't want to go pet like uh even an app that you spent 500 dollars on that's supposed to tell you which mushrooms are which it's probably not it's probably not safe to trust by itself Ooh, tricky question but yeah i'd probably say stick with the ones you know yeah so if mushrooms, I mean, a mushroom could be dangerous, but is it true that 90% of mushrooms 
aren't actually poisonous. Is that true? Oh, I'm not sure of the exact percentage, but you could be right. Um, I guess one of the other ways that throughout time people have found out if mushrooms were good for eating would be, uh, you know, let's say if you were out in the wilderness and you needed to forage for your own food and you didn't have any resources like manuals, guidebooks, internet, anything like that, and um, you thought that you would want to eat some mushrooms for some extra nutrition, uh, if you didn't know much about them, I think you can safely have a tiny amount, like uh, say the size of your thumbnail or something like that, and that you would eat only a small portion like that um, and then just observe your own body's response to that and see if you had any negative effects because if it was a poisonous one a small amount like that apparently wouldn't be enough to sort of kill you uh, but you wouldn't go around testing it no I wouldn't advise that that's sort of like talking about a more survival sort of situation <laughs> so are mushrooms, do they grow everywhere on the, or not everywhere on the planet, but are, are there anywhere where mushrooms have ever gone extinct, like any specific species? I'm not sure of that, actually. Do you know of any? I don't, I've never heard of a mushroom species going extinct, but they might. It just seems like mushrooms, it's hard to actually get rid of a mushroom once it's growing because you can get rid of the fruiting body. But to get rid of the mycelium, you have to like, like remove pretty much all the soil and then put it somewhere where it just won't grow back. So mm. I don't think that a mushroom could ever go extinct, but it might be. They might have gone extinct in some places. Mm. I know I have heard of, in Victoria, for example, we've got an introduced species mushroom, uh, which is a little orange looking mushroom. I've seen that. Yeah, and people say it's a bit like a weed and it's not supposed to be here. And because it competes for space um, with local species, it outcompetes them. And so that could be a real problem maybe where you might see an extinction sort of crisis because this introduced species might take over and the other one might die out. But I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. So isn't it true that there's like 25,000 species of mushrooms at the moment and there's, there's having, they're having like thousands of different species discovered every year? Is that true? Because there must just be so many species of mushrooms around. There must be so many that just haven't been documented. Mm. It would be cool to find a mushroom that no one has ever found before. Mm -hmm. But that's also what makes them kind of a bit funky to eat because you know they you have you, you have no idea but it's a real shame that we've lost a lot of that primal agriculture of the elders telling the younglings what what the mushrooms are edible or not sorry if the mushrooms are edible or not 
or all of this primal knowledge like what plants are edible where the berries grow best you know it's all just been lost over time which is a massive shame in my opinion really mm-hmm. yeah suppose it's to me it's a little bit like how we know that a lot of the ocean hasn't been explored and so there are many mysteries hidden in the ocean still and like you said more and more mushroom species keep on being discovered we haven't paid so much kind of scientific academic attention to them that we know everything about all of them yet so there's much more to discover about them all the time yeah and i feel like there's so much effort being put into things that i don't feel are as important as discovering information about our planet and things like no one like we're also a lot of people are so focused on outer space travel like they're like oh my god we, we need to go to moon and mars and set up a colony there but i don't it's not really uh, i don't see why we should be working more on outer space than our planet that we've got now i mean there's already such an issue of pollution and stuff why are, why is elon musk spending hundreds of thousands of dollars building rockets when he could be instead spending that money to help the ecosystem and i think that might be good eventually like like it's in, it's important to travel space in my opinion like it's a it would be deeply informative and interesting but you know we've got a planet now that admittedly is it's kind of dying because it's already much more polluted than it definitely should be and that should be the main issue like that that should be what we're worrying about i think yeah i tend to align with what you're saying there and i think i've thought that sort of thing from when i was your age too because obviously you can just tell it's such an expensive extravaganza getting um rockets into space and that kind of thing when we've got problems right under our noses that we could use that money to solve yeah that, that i mean that's what i feel and i feel like if we if there was more more just like people and more money just in the industry of just discovering things about the planet like and cleaning up the part of the planets that we already have discovered and i bet there's a small species of fish that's living under the under the sea that's gone oh i hope i never get discovered that would suck <laughs> because we do seem to have a nature of whenever the whenever the species of humanity goes near everything it seems to ruin it because of all this focus on things that i don't see as important as the problems that we're literally standing on mm -hmm. if that i mean that's just my opinion can i hear your opinion yeah mine's probably a little bit more positive in some ways because i tend to think that um we already have the answers to a lot of things and you know you're inspiring me with some of your understandings already um about how you can use fungi there's just one thing in this whole world all the things you can do with that and the ways it can be used um 
And there are so many people who've worked on all sorts of solutions for lots of things to do with what you said, pollution, energy, um, you know, using different materials for packaging. Again, that's one that relates to fungi as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it just depends on how can we get those people with the great ideas to get their ideas in action because sometimes um, – you know, it can get a little bit connected to money and politics and things like that with what solutions actually get chosen and put into place or tried out. So what other mushrooms have you grown? Because you told us that you'd grown wine caps, but I'm sure there's other things you've grown as your mushroom expert self. Mm -hmm. So I feel really lucky because in 2020, uh, right before Melbourne started having lockdowns, I was able to get myself in to go to a workshop at Ceres um, in East Brunswick and do a little course over a couple of hours on uh, growing your own mushrooms at home. And so from that course, I learned how to make the ones that you grow in bags using recycled paper, usually like actually kitty litter that's made from recycled paper is a good one. Um, And at the course, we were given samples or you could buy samples of mycelium. And so I got Queensland white oyster and... um, a type called Piapino, or another name for that is sword belt. Uh, and so I tried growing both of those at home and they were just so fun and wonderful. Um, you know, first of all, just an exciting process, seeing them grow, uh, learning how to adjust the humidity for them. You know, you need to give them a little spray of water each day and stuff like that. And the Piapinos especially are absolutely delicious. Um, yeah, so they're just the three types I've grown though. So would you say that, what, what, out of all the mushrooms you've grown, what would you say is the yummiest? The yummiest? Uh, probably not the oysters. It would be either the Piapinos or the red wine cap. So what do you like to include in your diet for like for nutrition and for health and just for yummy yep well because I've only been growing the red wine caps for a little while and there was a time where I was just busy with other stuff and wasn't really growing my own I was buying mushrooms at the grocery store and the ones that I've been regularly buying Uh, the shiitake ones just because they're quite a wholesome medicinal sort of mushroom that's good for eating all the time Um, and yeah I eat them quite often because I love cooking up eggs and mushrooms for brunch all the time (laughs) and uh, apart from that I've also invested in purchasing a few of the mushroom powders that are available and so there are Australian companies that um, use the fruiting body of the mushroom this is something to look for if you're buying mushroom powders that they're not just using the powdered mycelium but it's actually the fruiting body that they're using 
um, for the more medicinal sort of content. And there's just such an amazing range um, and also tinctures. So I recently bought a reishi tincture just for general health. And um, I'm preferring to use some of these now rather than taking lots of um, mass produced supplements that you can get at the pharmacy store and that sort of thing. Um, chaga is one that I learned is great to have every day. And I purchased that in a powdered form, which is beautiful to make like a mushroom coffee with each day. So actually a couple of teaspoons in a cup, add some hot water, add a little bit of milk, and that's a coffee replacement. Um, and if you're into taking things like shilajit, that's another one that I've added, um, which is... Uh, a whole nother thing to talk about but it's from kind of ayurvedic medicine um and it's from rocks minerals from rocks basically <laughs> okay that was a whole lot of words i did not know the meaning of <laughs> so could you expand a little bit more on shilajit i'm not sure if i'm even saying it correctly but this is something in the sort of natural health field that a lot of people have been interested in lately because it's something called an adaptogen uh, and it's full of minerals because it's made from sounds a bit yucky but decomposed plants so a little bit like how we get told that oil is made from fossils the shilajit is made from decomposed plants and they say it is extruded from rocks um, but it's an a traditional natural health supplement in areas from India all the way through Russia and Siberia. So it's been used for thousands of years uh, in Ayurvedic medicine and it will, because it's an adaptogen, it helps your body balance the minerals that you need. What you're explaining is a mineral from rocks made of decomposed plants something like that sort of that yeah it's really taking off at the moment because um people are discovering that sometimes their multivitamins and things like that perhaps their body isn't absorbing the vitamins and minerals the way they hoped it, that it would so shilajit is a little bit more like a natural food form of getting some extra nutrients into your diet well, that is very interesting. It's been really nice talking to you, Chloe. I I hope you've had as much fun as I've as I've had in this interview. And well, I just like you to disintroduce yourself. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on your show, Ned. It's been a lovely time chatting with you. Okay, well, that just about wraps up our podcast. I have had an incredible time today, and I hope you have too. Bye bye. Bye. Congratulations, you've made it to the end of this Noodlebugs podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Look out for other Noodlebugs podcasts that may be coming soon, and have a good day. Bye.